0: John fourteen, one to 6. We'll read 1 to 6. Our passage today is 1 to 3. Let not your heart be troubled. John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your holy word. We pray that you will teach us. And guide us into all the truth by your Holy Spirit of truth. In the name of Christ, who is the truth. Amen. In John 14, this is now a second section where Christ is trying to assure them that he is departing. But he's not departing to their disadvantage, but he's departing to their advantage. Remember in chapter 13, Christ has taught them three main lessons. One, to glorify God. Two, to love and serve one another. And then number three, that He was going to depart. The disciples, first it's Simon Peter, and then we will see that it is Thomas, that they both are focused on Christ departing and wanting to be with Christ when He departs. They are focused on that one fact. Now, that focus is not necessarily a wrong focus, or that's not a wrong concern in and of itself. We understand that we all want to be with Christ. Simon Peter wanted to be with Christ. Thomas wanted to be with Christ. They all wanted to be with him. That itself is not wrong, that, that, that desire to be with Christ. However, because he has said that he's departing, it has caused in Simon Peter... An unruly zeal, an unruly zeal, meaning he is losing focus and thinking that no matter what affliction, hardship, temptation, or persecution confronts him, he's going to remain faithful. And in that way, he failed to understand the weakness, the littleness of his faith. He failed to understand that because Christ told him in 13, 36 to 38 that he would deny Christ three times, which he eventually did. He eventually did deny Christ three times. John 18 describes it. Well, having said that, that should or would cause terror in the hearts of the disciples. How could it be that those who followed Christ so faithfully for three and a half years Day and night were with him, morning and evening, with him all the time. That after the Lord of heaven had ministered on the earth, that he would depart and during his time of departure, that the disciples would deny him, they would flee from him. Jesus predicted that too. That they not only, in Simon Peter's case, deny him, but the rest of them would flee Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered, as he said, quoting Zechariah the prophet, that this would actually happen. So when they think of his departure, it would naturally cause some kind of consternation in them, some kind of troubled heart, some kind of perplexity of mind and heart. Why is this happening? Why is it that you are saying these kinds of words to me, Jesus? But in anticipation of that, in anticipation of the troubles and trials, temptations, anxieties, and hardships of the world, he says in chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Yes, I'm going away. Yes, these problems and trials will come, but don't live with a troubled heart. This is a command. We see it. Let not your heart be troubled. This is an imperative or a command. Don't let this happen. Don't be this way. Don't have a troubled heart. Which command or imperative is repeated in the second clause? Believe in God. Believe also in me. That second one, by the way, some might render it as an indicative Indicative mood instead of the imperatival mood. If it's indicative, it would be you believe in God, you believe also in me. He's indicating that they believe in God and they also believe in him. Well, whether it's indicative or imperatival, it doesn't matter. It seems that the imperative goes better since the first part of the clause is in the imperative. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Well, how will you overcome trouble? Believe in God, believe also in me. The two go together. If you believe in God, you also believe in me. If you believe in me, you believe in God the Father. They all go together in the imperative as commands. Don't be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. This is the basic, essential way to overcome all hardships in life. If you're going to avoid having a heart full of turmoil, trouble, despair, then believe in God, believe also in Christ. Believe in the Word of Christ. If you believe in the Word of Christ, then you will not let your troubled fleshly heart be consumed. You will not let it be consumed by anxieties, by temptations, By uncertainties, by despair, discouragement, depression, whatever we might call a troubled heart. Those will not happen if we believe in God and we believe in Christ. Further, verse 2, verse 2, he says, Why we should not have a troubled heart and why we should believe? Because he puts out hope before us. He puts out a good future before us. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. There are many, many dwelling places in my Father's house. The Father that he implies in verse 1. Believe in God. In my Father's house. My Father, remember, is a unique description of Christ, the Son of God, his relationship to the Father, to God the Father. This is evident from... John 5:16 to 18. In John 5:16 to 18, Jesus uses this unique expression, "my Father," to assert his unique, one-of-a-kind relationship with the Father, which includes his own divine nature, his deity. 5:16. And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now and I myself am working. My father is working. He adds an offense. First, the first offense was breaking the sabbath according to their estimation falsely, and verse 17, My father according to their estimation, you can't call God your father? If you call God your father in this way, my father uniquely, then you're claiming deity. Well, verse 18 explains both. For this cause or for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Making himself equal with God. He says... Back to John 14. Believe in God, believe also in me. The Father is divine, I am divine. The Father's word is reliable, my word is reliable. And what does my word entail? Verse 2. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Many dwelling places. Prepared in my Father's house. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm telling you the truth, I would have told you, if it's not that way, you know I am a truthful preacher and teacher. I would have told you otherwise. for I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going away, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, in reality, God does not need to labor. He does not need a year or 10 years or a hundred thousand years to labor and make sure that there's enough houses and dwelling places in heaven. He's not like that. But he's using a figure of speech to say, I am going as a forerunner, and I'm going there to receive you so that when you reach there, you will see me there. I go to prepare a place for you. He uses an analogy or figure of speech to say, I am going in advance, and when you reach there, I will already be there, And everything will be ready for you. He's putting out hope and a positive future before them. Verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again. We could also say, and if I go and prepare a place for you. Then I will come again. And receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Since I mentioned preparing a place for you, if I go and prepare a place for you, what's the purpose of preparing a place for you unless I come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also? Why would I tell you that I'm going to prepare a place unless I'm coming again to receive you to myself, So the two of us, or all of us, will be in the same company. And when we are in the same company, where I am, that is, where he is between his first and second comings, in that period of time, when he comes again, he's going to take us to be with him. This is the doctrine of the second coming. He will come again. He says in verse 3, I will come come again. The doctrine of the second coming. His first coming is His incarnation. When He performed miracles, lived righteously, died on the cross unjustly, and then was raised from the dead three days later, ascended into heaven 40 days later. This is His first coming. His second coming will be to receive the elect, the church on the earth To gather them together to be with him, and then all of the elect, all of the deceased elect who have already died and met the Lord in heaven, will join those who are alive at the time he returns, and all join him together and be with the Lord Jesus forever and ever. For all eternity, no more to return to a dead, decaying, sinful, evil, corrupt, mortal world. No longer from in this world to be that way. This is the hope and promise he's giving to them. He's telling them, believe this. This is what will help you overcome troubled hearts. Believe in the promises of God, which are yes and amen in Christ. Believe in those promises of God and don't, Let the troubles of the world, the temptations of the world, create anxiety, depression, discouragement, dismay. Don't let that happen. Press on and press forward because of the things that Christ has promised for those who love Him. All that God has promised for those who love Him. 1 Corinthians 2, 8 and 9. Let's review this in greater detail now. Verse 1. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. We've already said, Why would it be troubled? Well, he has intimated that he is leaving. He has said that he is leaving. He's leaving this world. He repeats this in chapter 14. Chapter 14, verses 25... To twenty-nine, John fourteen twenty-five. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, while remaining with you, which implies I'm not going to remain with you. Verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes to pass, that when it comes to pass, you may believe. He tells them in advance about matters that are about to occur that when they do occur, they might believe his word. He is going to leave them, yet not leave them alone. The Holy Spirit will come. The Holy Spirit will help them and guide them. And he also will leave them with peace, verse 27. Peace, not as the world gives. The world gives a superficial and temporary false and phony peace. His peace is the peace that lasts forever. It is genuine, it is real, it's enduring. It will last forever. Therefore, we should not have troubled hearts, even if we have the thought that the physical Christ is not with us. Well, this requires faith. If the physical Christ is not with us, then we have to see the invisible Christ, not the visible one, but the invisible one through faith. Chapter six, Chapter six verses 66 to 69. 666. John 6:66. "Through the eyes of faith, we should be like this. 666. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Jesus said, therefore, to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There were others, while Christ was ministering on the earth, who had the audacity to hear hard words from Christ and then walk away from Christ. They followed him for a while temporarily and then they walked away. They withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Christ sees and even his disciples see masses of people turn away and walk away. And he challenges the 12. You do not want to go away also, do you? Do you want to part from me, my physical presence like all the rest do? Simon Peter correctly says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We're not going to go elsewhere. We're not going to trust in ourselves. We're not going to trust in somebody else. We're not going to go to another religion. We're not going to go to another nation where they have no word of life. We're not going to go there. We're going to stay with you, stick with you. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We believe this. We know there's nowhere else to go. We know that. So we're not going to do that. That's the kind of faith, belief, that Simon Peter and the 11 have. Not all 12. Christ challenged the 12, knowing full well one of the 12. Verse 70, 70 to 71. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. He would eventually be, Judas would eventually be like the many disciples of verse 66. The many disciples of verse 66 manifested their unbelief at that time and wanted no allegiance, proximity, faith in Christ. Judas eventually would do the same in verses 70 to 71. And we see that being fulfilled in John 13, 17, and 18, where Judas eventually does betray Christ. Now, another point to make in John chapter 14, verse 1, relates to This word, trouble, trouble. We could use other words to describe trouble. Anxiety, nervousness, stress, confusion, depression, dismay. These are words that might be used to describe a troubled heart. A heart that is not content, a heart that is not at peace. And there are many things in this world that could cause trouble, We see right here, the most immediate concern is, well, if Christ isn't physically present, then what am I going to do? And He's already assured them that the Holy Spirit is with Him or with them. He, by means of the Holy Spirit, would be present in them to give them assurance, to give them peace and hope. That is one. But that is also a temptation for us. Even though Christ isn't present for us, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. We don't need Jesus Christ to be physically present for us to have faith in Him and to persevere through the troubles. He doesn't have to be physically here. He even says in John 20, John 20, 29 John 20 29 Jesus said to him to Thomas because you have seen me have you believed blessed are they who did not see and yet believe blessed are they who did not see and yet believe that's you and me we don't see and most people throughout history do not see the physical Christ furthermore 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 1, First Peter 1, 6 to 9. 1 Peter 1, 6 to 9. He also commends us, though we don't have the physical Christ, not to be troubled and overcome by our trials. 1 Peter 1, 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed, By various trials, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So no worries, no trouble, no anxiety, though we don't see Christ physically. We are blessed and will be blessed with that presence of Christ upon His return. We will see Him then. So the physical presence of Christ may cause Or absence of Christ may cause trouble. It should not cause trouble. Another reason we might have troubled hearts is in Psalm 73. Psalm 73. There, when we see the prosperity of the wicked, the prosperity of the wicked in comparison to our own lack of prosperity, our own troubles. That might cause us to be troubled, as it did in Psalm 73. Here, he says, verses 1 and following Psalm 73, 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Which is true, he expresses that. But now he's going to express what happened to him in the intermediate period. He knows by faith that that's good. That's right, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. God will take care of us. But he's describing his journey through life and, and what troubles he sees. He understands it here at the beginning, and he also understands it at the end. 25 to 28. Whom have I in heaven, 25, whom have I in heaven but you, and besides you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. At the beginning and at the end of the psalm, he understands in true faith what the reality is. However, meantime, he observes in life, and his flesh rises up, And causes trouble for him. What does his flesh do? Verse 2, 73, 2. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men Nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. He's envious of the good, unmovable, blessed condition of the wicked. They, their body is fat and their eyes are fat. Their imaginations run riot. And they even mock at the wicked. They mock at us. Uh, I'm sorry. They, 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 The wicked, they mock at the righteous. The wicked mock at us, the righteous. And they even taunt God. Verse 9. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. They mock and taunt God. And say in verse 11, they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? These are the people who are at ease. And when we see them at ease, prospering in their wicked ways, we wonder, Is it worth it to be a Christian? Is it worth it to believe in Christ? Is it worth it to give up my old life, my sins? Are they better off than I? Will they be better off than I? This is the temptation we often face, and it troubles our hearts. But what should we do? What should we do? 15 15 to 20. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived therein. That's the key right there. When he considered, when he pondered this, when he meditated on these facts of life, the distinctions of life between us and them, he says he was reconciled, he understood. He came to understand or to have sober-mindedness on this matter when he came into the sanctuary of God. When he came to worship God, then he was reminded of the character of God. He was reminded of the Word of God. He was reminded of the judgments of God. He was reminded of the promises of God for His people, to His people. He was reminded of these truths. And verses 18 18 to 20. Surely... You set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How? They are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord. When aroused, you will despise their form. The troubled heart is brought to peace and comfort, understanding that God is a God of justice. One day, suddenly... They will be punished. Therefore, I can have assurance I have received the mercy of God. They receive the justice of God. God will take care of their dirty deeds on the day of judgment. Meantime, I am to remain faithful without a troubled heart, believing in God and the word of God. That's one reason for trouble. Another reason is found in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Anxiety over life. What I shall eat, what I shall drink. Anxiety over life. 625. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious... For your life, as to what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor for your body, as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food, and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his life's span? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you? O you of little faith, do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Why are people anxious about eating and drinking and life and what's going to happen tomorrow? Because they're not thinking about the loving care of, of our Heavenly Father. They're not considering His loving care for His people who are not only His people, which is the main reason, but also they are humans and not birds and they're not plants. God cares more for humans than birds and plants, right? More than animals and the rest of nature. He cares more for us, but especially we are His people. We are the ones who belong to our Heavenly Father, verses 26 and 32. We are the ones also who are in His kingdom, who are encouraged to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So whether it is employment, whether it is uh, politics, these are the, the main reasons. Employment and politics are the main reasons why People are anxious about the next day. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week? What's going to happen next month, next year? Will I have the ability to maintain my life the way it is now? Or, and even to even improve my life? Will my children and grandchildren have a better life than I have now? That's what we all desire. Well, he says, do not be anxious about our life. He's not saying don't be responsible. He's not saying don't work. Of course we're supposed to work. We're supposed to work the next day and today. And of course we should plan for the future in re- relation to our own employment, the employment of our children and grandchildren, the situation in our country where we live. We should be concerned in the proper sense of the word, but not anxious like this, not like men of little faith, that God will not take care of us. Certainly, He will take care of us. Another example from Matthew is taken from Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. 10, 16. Matthew 10, 16, 16. It actually goes from 16 to 39. We'll read excerpts from this section. It's basically about persecution. Persecution from without, from the government, and persecution from within, that is, one's own family. Whether it's persecution from without or persecution from within, don't be anxious about it. Just do the will of God, and God will help you. He'll give you the words to speak. Matthew 10:16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not become anxious about how or what you will speak. For it shall be given you in that hour what you are to speak. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Don't be anxious about it. God will help you. He'll teach you. The Spirit of your Father will speak in you. 21, and brother will deliver a brother to death. And a father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all on account of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Endurance is necessary. God will take care of our circumstances. Luke chapter 10. Another reason why Anxiety arises. Luke 10. When we are distracted, when we lose priorities, the spiritual should take place over the physical. The spiritual life should take place over the physical life. When we lose focus on the spiritual as primary... and give attention to the physical, we become anxious and it's wrong or sinful. Luke 10, 38 to 42. 10:38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who, moreover, was listening to the Lord's word, seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only a few things are necessary, really, only one. For Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. In this house, Mary and Martha are hosting Christ. Mary is listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet, verse 39. Mary is doing the right thing. She is not sinning. She is not leaving her sister to do all the preparations But her sister Martha complains that that's what's going on. Christ corrects her because Martha not only is blaming her sister Mary for being more, uh, for being basically lazy. Mary is lazy. That's why she's listening to you teach. Martha complains and also complains not only against her sister Mary, but against the Lord. She's even... When she's losing focus on physical preparation, she's focused on that and not the spiritual. She's even blaming the Lord Jesus for not caring for her. Do you not care? If Christ doesn't care, then that would be sin. She's accusing Christ of sin. Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. She won't help me. She's listening to you teach. 41. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Who is to blame here? Is it the Lord? No. Is it Mary? No. It's Martha. Worried and bothered about so many things but only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which, will, which shall not be taken away from her. Mary is doing right. Once I finish teaching, then we can work on eating. But why are you so preoccupied about eating while I'm teaching? Isn't the Lord's word most important? Mary has chosen the good part. She's still listening But why did you get up? Or why did you never even come and sit over here in the first place? We don't know what exactly happened, but you're not here. You're over there, here, there, in the kitchen, doing whatever. You're not listening to the Lord's word. My word. Mary understands that this is rare. Mary understands that this will not happen always. Mary understands that I'm going to depart. I won't be here all the time. Why don't you understand it? Losing priorities, mixed priorities, not understanding what is right and what is wrong. And one more example we find in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter chapter 1. Beginning in verse 2. Here we'll read about various trials and particularly lacking wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 2. We will read from verses 2 to 8. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given him. to him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. When we encounter various trials, we should consider it all joy. Not trouble, not anxiety, not depression and dismay. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. God tests our faith through the trials, the various trials, the multiple trials of different kinds to produce endurance in us. And then endurance will have a perfect result, will become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Isn't that better, to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, spiritually speaking? And in particular, if we lack wisdom, ask God in faith. Ask God in faith for the wisdom that we need. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to others. Look to God for the wisdom that we need. We should not look to others because he condemns it in James 3, 13 to 18. The wisdom elsewhere, not from God, is worthless and dangerous. James three thirteen, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show... By his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Instead of being tossed here and there by the wisdom of men, which is earthly, natural, demonic, Seek God's wisdom, where we will have stability of faith, single-mindedness, not double-mindedness, stability, not instability, in all our ways. These are just a few examples in Scripture of how our hearts might be troubled. We should not do that. But instead, believe God, believe also in me. John 14, verse 1 If we are to believe God and believe in Christ, and God is invisible, God is spirit and he is invisible. He is spirit, John 4, 24. He is invisible, 1 Timothy 1, 17. If God is spirit and he is invisible, we have to still believe, right? Hebrews 11, verse 1. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Believing God, believing in God, believing also in Christ. Hebrews 11, 1. The unseen, invisible nature of faith, true faith. 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old. Gained approval. Verse 2. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We don't see. Verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We must believe that he is, he exists. Why do we need to believe that? Well, it's hard to believe it for the natural man because we don't see Him. He is spirit, John 4, 24. He is invisible, 1 Timothy 1, 17. But we must believe that He exists even if we don't see Him. And He'll also reward us for diligently seeking Him in faith. And who did so? The men of old did so. That's what the whole chapter is describing, how in one way or another... Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the people under Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, and many unnamed saints, Christians of the Old Testament, that they had this kind of faith conviction of things not seen they all did even with Moses he says he says so specifically in verse 27 seeing him who is unseen as seeing him who is unseen in reference to the saints generally 11 13 to 16 hebrews 11:13 all these died in faith without receiving the promises But, having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, from a distance, they saw them from a distance. It was far into the future of things that they did not see concretely, physically in their own life. They saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That country of their own, that prepared city, is that future eternal country, that future eternal city. It's the heavenly city. It is that eternal dwelling place. Abraham believed in that. Moses believed in that. Abraham could have returned to Ur of the Chaldeans, but he didn't, right? Moses could have returned to Egypt like some of the rebels among Israel wanted to do, but he didn't want to go back to Egypt. Why did he keep going forward? Why did Abraham keep moving ahead in God's will for their life? Because of that country to come. Because of that city to come. They believed in that which was unseen. Also from chapter 14, verse 1, we should note that we cannot separate belief in God and belief in Christ. The two go hand in hand. They are bound up together. Belief in God and belief in Christ. In verse 1, he says it very clearly. He is elevating, Christ is elevating his word to be equal with the word of the Father. They cannot be separated. They cannot be, one cannot be relegated to be lesser than the other. The word of Christ, lesser than than the Word of God the Father. The Word of Christ is the Word of God the Father. In chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 33, 3, 33. John 3, He who has received his witness has set his seal to this, that God is true. When we receive the word from the one who comes from above, from heaven, then we set the seal to this, that God is true. If we believe the word of Christ, we believe in the word of the Father, that God is speaking the truth. In chapter 14, let's go back to chapter 14 We find in verses 7 to 11 where Christ speaks of the same. 14:7 If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, "Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us." Jesus said to him, "Have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip?" He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. The Father is in me. I am in the Father. If you see me, you see the Father. You can't get any better than seeing me. If you see me, you know exactly the Father's character. You know exactly the Father's will. You know exactly the Father's wisdom. You know exactly the Father's works. You know exactly what the Father's word is in relation to you. Because I have delivered it to you. I have manifested that very word to you. Also, one more place, John twelve forty four, John twelve forty four. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And he who beholds me beholds the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. And if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. There is no way, having read these verses, to separate the words of Christ from the words of the Father. Acceptance of Christ and acceptance of the Father. Rejection of Christ and rejection of the Father. There is no way to separate these two persons of the Trinity, the Father and the Son. This is... A temptation. It is a sore temptation, but it's also a destructive temptation that has eternal consequences. Whenever we are tempted to separate Christ from the Father, this happens daily to us because of the world, the flesh, and the devil, but it also manifests itself in certain false doctrines that we encounter day by day. To separate the God of the Old Testament, from the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is God the Father. The God of the New Testament is more seen in the face of Christ. And the face of Christ is always gentle, always loving, always gracious, always merciful, always compassionate. He's always bending over backwards for anybody and everybody. But not in the the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament is quick-tempered. He is short-tempered. He gets angry easily, and puts people to death instantly. That's the way people portray the Father in the Old Testament compared to God in the New Testament. Well, that's false. We can't do that. Believe in God, believe also in me. It's one and the same. The Father in the Old, the Father in the New. The Son in the Old, the Son in the New. In fact, Psalm 2.12 says that the Son's wrath may soon be kindled. So take refuge in Him. Kiss the Son and take refuge in Him. It's the same. The, The picture of God is the same, Old Testament and New Testament. Also, people seek to make a distinction between God of the Old and God of the New in order to justify their sins. Because if God is always loving and gentle in the New Testament then he won't punish me for my sins. I can live as, as I please and still call myself a Christian. I can live in my sins now, love my sins now, and also go to heaven for all eternity. That's not how it works. Jesus himself says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And John 17, 17 Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctification or holiness comes from the word of truth. The word of Christ taught here in scripture. So this separation should not ever happen. And also it happens because people want to believe in universalism and inclusivism. In Religions outside of direct, accurate knowledge of the Word of Christ in the Scripture, they want to believe that people in other places in the world who have a nominal Christianity, a very ritualistic and nominal, ignorant Christianity, and people in the world who believe in other religions, world religions, false religions, that they somehow, because they are good enough They avoid certain heinous crimes and sins. They follow their own religions faithfully, wholeheartedly, with great zeal, that they are fine between them and God. And God will, in His great love and mercy, because He loves all people equally, He will allow them to enter into heaven for all eternity. But that's not how it works. That's why Jesus says, even in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's necessary to come to the Father through Christ. Believe in God, believe also in Christ, in the Word of Christ. This is why the Scripture emphasizes preaching the truth of the Word of Christ. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Let's not have a troubled heart. But believe in God, specifically believe in God, the Father, through the Son of God, Christ, our Lord and Savior. Believe in his word. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.